If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is our number one of the World According to Zig podcast for this April 2nd, 2017. My name is John Ziegler. I am a host, or actually the host, of the program. <laughs> There's only one of us. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called The World According to Zig. I'm a host of the program where we provide you with at least uh, two hours of honesty and rationality in the midst of the onslaught of insanity and deceit, which dominate the media, cultural, and political landscape. And we got a big show for you for this week. In fact, um, because of the fact we are on Baby Watch, my wife is uh, nine months pregnant. I wasn't even 100% sure we'd be able to do the show of this week. In fact, yesterday, April Fool's Day, she awoke me with the news. I was still groggy that it was time to go to the hospital, that she was giving birth. And uh, to her credit, she didn't uh, go along with the prank nearly as long as she could have. She could have really dragged it out. And of course, as a guy, especially, you have no recourse at this point. You cannot call bullcrap on your wife claiming it's time to go to the hospital to deliver a kid, especially at her age. And so uh, I have to give her credit for, one, pulling off a pretty good prank, and two, not uh, pushing it so far as to where it really was anything more than just a joke. But uh, it appears as if um, that's not imminent, although who knows, we could get a call in the middle of the podcast today, and that could change. My guess is, as has always been my guess on this, she is destined to give birth on Master's Sunday, just to spite me. I mean, that, that has to be when she's going to give birth. It has to be. It's, it's preordained, which would mean that this might be the last podcast we do for a couple of weeks because, uh, you know, we're on baby watch. Uh, we got Easter. So enjoy it while you have it. We may be taking a couple-week hiatus. I, I, don't, I don't know. Would this be called paternity leave? I don't, I don't know. I <laughs> Since, since there's since there's no money or employment involved in this, I, I guess I can I can call it that, whatever I want. But uh, anyway, for an update on that, uh, I'm sure you can find it whenever news occurs on my Twitter and Facebook page. In our number two of this week's uh, World According to Zig podcast, we've got a great guest, a guy you probably never heard of. His name is David Mickelson. He is the founder of Snopes.com which is at the forefront of fighting fake news. And we get into a very interesting and in-depth conversation about all aspects of fake news. So make sure you check that out in hour number two. And because we have that interview already taped, because I did it in person earlier this week, we're going to have time to do a special bonus hour, an hour number three, where I will provide a a brief update on what's been going on in the so-called Penn State case. Uh, which uh, I've been embroiled in for the last uh, five-plus years. There were a couple of important updates this week. But also, mostly because this week was my 50th birthday, uh, I will uh, use that opportunity to provide, for better or for worse, some very deep thoughts that I guarantee you'll never hear anybody else <laughs> discuss publicly about the nature of life as I turn 50 with a very nice celebration this week. My wife did a really nice job. Uh, we had... Um, our best friends in, in town, uh, the Narastas, Cyrus Narasta, the filmmaker who I've had on this uh, program a couple different times, and his wife, Betsy, her, his co-writer, uh, they both came over. And my daughter, Grace, was just super-duper excited uh, for for the birthday. Birthdays are everything when you're almost five years old. So dad was a hero for one day, 
And everyone was nice to me, so, you know. And then, of course, the next day, reality returned, and everyone bitched to Dad and nagged the crap out of Dad. But that's just the way life works, I guess. So tune in to hour number three for that. Uh, in this hour, as is usually the case, we'll focus a lot on the week in Trump news, which were, was dominated really by two things. Uh, finding uh, someone to blame or an excuse to come up with with regard to the health care debacle, that was a large part of what Trump was doing this week. And then also dodging Russian revelations and Mike Flynn rumors. There were a couple of other things which you might consider to be on the good news side of Donald Trump. He signed some executive orders, although a couple of executive orders he actually forgot to sign at the public ceremony, but apparently that was eventually taken care of. But on uh, climate change and on trade issues. Now, on the surface, both of those I would agree with. You know, there's no question that, that um, we've gone way, way too far in listening to the climate zealots, the extremists, the global warming nut jobs, who, um, you know, in, in my view... You must be crazy. When are you going to stop believing in something that isn't true? Yeah, in my view, uh, that whole issue is mostly about religion and money. Religion and money, and oftentimes religion is about money. Uh, now, look, is the climate changing? I don't know. Is man possibly partially responsible for any changes that are occurring? Okay, maybe. But I, I don't think we're anywhere near determining that, nor are we determining that it's a bad thing. I, I mean, I keep mentioning this, and, and it's in, because it's important, because no one else is. Just Google United States Drought Tracker. It's unbelievable. You know, if, if we were really going through climate change or global warming, we would see Enormous amounts of drought. And that's what they told us here in California. They told us two years ago. Ugh, never-ending drought is headed our way. It's just a new reality, folks. There's nothing we can do about it, even though we're going to try to destroy what's left of our economy to pretend that we're doing something about it. Now, today, as far as I can tell, when you go to that drought tracker, and I go there on basically a weekly basis, and since they've started keeping records, there's never been less drought in the United States of America. And California is basically 100% now out of any serious drought. When two years ago, these same nut jobs told us, oh, it's the new reality. Nothing we can do about it. And this year wasn't even supposed to be a, a big year for rain. This was supposed to be a bad year for rain. Because we had an El Nino and a La Nina. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. They have no idea. But even on climate change, you know, these executive orders, I think, are mostly smoke and mirrors. They're not, you know, they're not the same thing as legislation. And just today, Trump's EPA guy, who the left hates, is supposed to be Mr. Anti, uh, you know, science on climate change and global warming. He came out and said, well, I'm basically backing off. I do think man is responsible for some of this. We just don't know how much. So he's accepting the fact that there's climate change, accepting the fact that man is at least partially responsible, but he, according to the left, is blasphemer. Yeah, he's a blasphemer. That's, this is supposed to be, you know, the big change that Trump brought into town. We got an EPA guy that's a moderate on climate change, and somehow the left thinks that the sky is falling. He said it again. Yeah, that, that's the reality of this. So, you know, even Trump's guy on the EPA isn't what was advertised. As far as trade, I have no idea. I'm not an expert on it. We're clearly getting ripped off. This was a big selling point for Trump during the campaign. I, I think that it's a, a lot of talk because we don't have the leverage to do anything about it. It was one of those things that made for a great campaign rally speech. But when it comes down to it, in order to win a negotiation, you have to have some leverage. And I don't know what our leverage is unless Trump is willing to destroy enormous numbers of jobs and punish poor and middle-class people with uh, incredible infl inflation. So unless he's willing to do that, sure, you want to get in a trade war, fine. The people that voted for you are going to get screwed the most. So good luck with that, buddy. So I, I, don't, I don't see where the leverage is to do this, but, you know, the, the cult, the Trump cult bought into it because he's magic, remember? With me, it's just works, you know, it's magic. Yeah, well, I don't believe in magic, and that's a big part of why I've never believed in Donald Trump. 
and a lot of people are starting not to believe in Donald Trump. There's no question that just 70 some days into his presidency, the bloom, if there ever was a rose, is coming off of the rose rather quickly, even among some conservatives. Trump's approval ratings, and I have been very adamant in saying there is a floor here to Trump's approval ratings that is probably somewhere in the 37, 38% range. Uh, Gallup uh, has been in that range, although he's inched up in the last few days, but their tracking polls had him as low as 35%. Overall, his approval ratings are about 41% with a negative 11% in comparison to disapproval. And that's really the most important number. The 41% is interesting, but it's the comparison to how many people disapprove of him, which is averaging at about 52, 53%. So he's at a negative 11 right now. That is not, that is historically bad. And uh, for someone who's just been in office for 70 days, he's supposed to be in his honeymoon period. And, you know, after all, nobody should be better at honeymoons than Donald Trump. He's been through three of them already. This is his fourth, I guess. And this one's probably going the worst of any of them. And so at a negative 11%, that is debilitated. What's really the most interesting stat within his approval ratings is from Rasmussen. Rasmussen has always been exceedingly pro-Trump. During the campaign, they were pro-Trump. You know, they basically want to get on Sean Hannity's show. That's what their purpose is. I mean, they they create their polls in a way, and I've worked in the polling industry, so I'm not just talking out of my backside here. They they have always strategically molded. I'm not saying they've made it up. You can easily mold your polls to get a result that is consistent with what you want. And it's obvious that they have been one of those that wants to get on Fox News Channel, wants to be linked on the Drudge Report, wants to go on Sean Hannity's show, or be mentioned on Sean Hannity's show. And listen to this. Back in mid-February, which was not that long ago, folks, we're talking about a month and a half ago, when it came to Rasmussen approval ratings, Donald Trump was at a plus six. Plus six. He's now at a minus 14. That's in a month and a half, even among Rasmussen polls. He's got a 57% disapproval rating right now at Rasmussen. Again, supposedly a friendly pollster for Donald Trump. 57% disapproval. Now, my guess is that that will come back to the norm a little bit. And uh, I have always believed and continue to believe that these are, the, these are basically the numbers we're going to see. Unless and until something really dramatic happens, either to the negative or to the positive. Although, considering what the standard for really dramatic is in the first 70 days of the Trump administration, it's kind of hard to fathom. I mean, we've already had we've already had his national security advisor fired under allegations that he was in coercion with or not coercion with, but collusion with uh, Russia with regard to uh, influencing sanctions and potentially helping during the campaign. And uh, and that could just be the tip of the iceberg. And this week, there's all sorts of rumors going around that he is seeking immunity in exchange for his testimony. And let me just talk a little bit about that for a second. Um, the liberals, especially on Twitter, my God, the orgasms that they're having over this Michael Flynn story, they are, they're like schoolgirls at a boy band concert i mean you can almost hear their screeching over oh my god it's oh he's gonna come down we're gonna get rid of trump this is gonna be awesome awesome um yeah um hold on to your panties because uh that's not gonna happen anytime soon and nor do i think that there's any evidence right now that it's gonna happen even in the long run i i i have said many times i've written about this for mediate that there is clearly a ton of smoke, a ton of smoke when it comes to Trump and Russia. And I'm not naive enough to think that there's not some fire. But at this point, I think Trump has done a pretty good job, nefariously so, of inoculating himself within his cult. See, that's all that matters at this point. 
he's got to keep the conservative media industrial complex on his side. And right now, the only big member of the conservative media industrial complex that's showing any signs of wavering on Trump at all is Matt Drudge. Now, Drudge is an important figure here, but he's not everything. And even then, he still hasn't shown he's going to jump ship. So as long as he keeps the conservative media industrial complex, and as long as he keeps his cult, and as long as most real conservatives, whatever left of them, I don't know what that percentage is anymore, as, well, as long as most of them are at least somewhat on board, and for instance, he gets the Gorsuch nomination through, Neil Gorsuch in the Supreme Court, which is going to be a big story this week. And the signs are that that's going to happen. There was just another Democratic senator that announced today that he'll vote for Neil Gorsuch. The Democrats are pretending that they're going to filibuster. I, I don't see that to me would be a bad idea from both perspectives. Because if they filibuster and they force the Republicans to nuke the filibuster, then that means the next time that there's an opening, assuming that a Republican is still president, whether it's Trump or Pence or whoever, then the Democrats have no power at all to stop the next one, which will be way more important than this one. Because the next one, whether it's Kennedy or whether it's Ginsburg, is going to be everything. That's going to be all-out war. And if you're on the Republican side, it would be a really stupid short-term decision to nuke the filibuster because, let's say, Trump loses for re-election and we get wiped out in Congress because of getting punished for having nominated and elected a, a con man lunatic who wasn't qualified, which, frankly, we should be punished for. If that all occurs, then we are screwed because we have no ability to stop anything, especially a stacking of the Supreme Court. So it's very much a double-edged sword. And But if Gorsuch gets through, I think that that buys Trump some goodwill with the, the old guard of the conservative movement that are still around and still have a semblance of principle. So when you, if you combine the cult with the conservative media industrial complex being completely invested in Trump's perceived success and enough conservatives that are bought off by Gorsuch and the fact that he's not Hillary Clinton, that basically equals at least 38 40%. And if you're at 38, 40% and Republicans control Congress, they can't touch you. There's nothing that can be done. He's not going to resign. Donald Trump is not going to resign, folks. I, I mean, <laughs> that is the, there is no chance of that because in order to resign, one must think that there's something more important than yourself. <laughs> With you know, Nixon at least thought there was something more important than himself. And when Barry Goldwater came to him and said, Hey, Richard or Dick, whatever he called him, this is this is not gonna end well. You need to get out of here for the good of the country. And to Nixon's credit, he did. Bill Clinton didn't do that because there was nobody with a soul in the Democratic Party side to say, Hey, this is wrong. You gotta go. Clinton knew that if he fought it all the way to the end, the media would protect him, the Democratic Party would rally around him, and the Republicans didn't have the votes on their own. And that's exactly what happened. So Don, of, of anybody who has ever held major elected office, forget about president, Donald Trump is the last one, personality-wise, who's going to resign on his own. Not going to happen. Even though, you know, I saw some fairly prominent liberals on Twitter trying to pretend that that was being an option that was even being considered. It's just delusional. They, these, they are delusional. They are, their, their hatred of Trump, which is understandable, has completely blinded them, and they're not very rational people to begin with. After all, they're liberals. Uh, so, you know, they're all about feelings. And so they, they just want this horrible feeling that they have to end. And they can't fathom having to live at least almost four more years with this. And I hate to break it to them, but unless they come up with a really good candidate, it's going to be more than four years. Now, one of the columns that I wrote this week deals with this issue of the politics of all of it and and how confused I think the Democrats are. If you go to freespeechbroadcasting.com, uh, which is our website where you can find virtually everything you need 
regarding this uh, podcast, including past shows, you'll uh, you'll be able to read it. It's a it's from Mediate, and it's it's entitled something along the lines of "Why in the world would Democrats want Donald Trump to leave office?" It makes no sense at all. None. He's shown every sign, especially this week with his fight against the Freedom Caucus, because that's really the problem with America. <laughs> the 30 or so Republican congressmen who actually have enough principle to stand up for conservatism that are left. Yep, that's the problem. So he's attacking them openly. In fact, one of his aides went on Twitter yesterday and... and begged people, basically, to primary a prominent Republican congressman from Michigan. And he was having none of it, which was great. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, Justin Amash is his name. He went on Twitter and basically fought right back. He he took a page out of Trump's own playbook and just said, screw you, Uh, this is bullcrap, and I, I've also written in the past for Mediate that these threats that Trump is making against Republican congressmen not only are stupid and not warranted, but they're empty threats. He has no ability to take out multiple members of his own party, especially in the most conservative Districts, because I honestly either he's either delusional, which is possible, and or he just simply doesn't understand how elections work, which is also possible. See, the Freedom Caucus guys are Freedom Caucus guys for good reason. They're from safe districts. (laughs) They're from places where they're allowed to be super conservative. All right. Now. On the one hand, that would open up the opportunity if they got primaried, because that would also mean that the voters in those primaries are also very conservative. But here's the problem Trump has. Who's he going to have run against these people? Who? And who's going to fund them? He's not going to fund them personally. Are you kidding me? So where's he going to find credible candidates? Where are they going to get their money? And you can't duplicate the Donald Trump phenomenon because it's not based in anything but who Donald Trump is. It's not transferable unless there's an army of celebrity fake billionaires somewhere who are amazing media manipulators that we don't know about that he's ready to throw out into the hinterland to run for Congress. There's no concern here. And I think the Republican congressmen and the Freedom Caucus are smart enough to realize that. These are fake, empty threats. Now, today, (laughs) Trump is out with a completely new story, because if you just wait 24 hours, generally, there will be a new story. I mean, because that's just the way Trump tends to work. He's making it up as he goes and not. I mean, the the reality is he comes out today on Twitter and he says that we we will repeal and replace Obamacare after all, you know, through unity. Because Republicans are all about love. <laughs> what the? <laughs> Even Bill Crystal's like, I've been a Republican a lot longer than Donald Trump. I, I don't buy this Republicans are all about love business. So he's now pretending after having ripped the Freedom Caucus that, no, no, we're all we're going to do it on our own now. After threatening to go to the other side, now we, we're going to figure out a way to do this. And he's apparently on the golf course today with a couple of, prominent Republicans, including Rand Paul, who doesn't strike me as a golfer. I, 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 <laughs> I don't know that Rand Paul's not a golfer, but he just does not strike me as a golfer. But apparently he's, he's golfing with Trump today. And, you know, maybe they'll be able to come up with um, a, a way to fix this thing. I doubt it. I, I mean, they, they've already made a very short but significant effort to do it, and they didn't come close They weren't able to get enough votes to even have a vote. So now that Trump has been exposed as not having the votes, his leverage is basically non-existent. So trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, he's in a worse position today 
to pull this off than he was three weeks ago. Not to mention that his approval ratings have diminished because of all this. So he doesn't seem to really understand the way politics works. And in fact, he even acknowledged that when the health care vote didn't even happen. He told Robert Costa, a conservative Washington reporter, that he just he, he didn't understand that business negotiations are different than political negotiations. <laughs> really? Boy, I wish someone would have told us that this guy was fundamentally unqualified, uniquely unqualified for this job. All of his meager qualifications do not transfer to the office of the presidency. He ran a company, poorly, mostly, where he was the dictator. People did whatever the hell he wanted. That's not the way the presidency works. It's not the way Congress works. But anyway, this this column that I wrote about why Democrats would ever want Trump to leave office, I, I, I urge you to take a look at, again, at freespeechbroadcasting.com. Because one of the things I get into is something that I talked a lot about during the campaign. And I think I've been vindicated on, not 100% yet, but pretty darn close. And that is how similar Donald Trump is, ironically, to the guy that he despises, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He is Arnold Schwarzenegger in almost every way. The only difference is, see, here's what happened with Schwarzenegger. And I was... I live here in California. I was a radio talk show host in Los Angeles at the time. And I, to my knowledge, was the first person to predict. I remember the exact day I did it. It was the press conference that Arnold Schwarzenegger held as an allegedly Republican governor the day after he lost a special election where several of his special propositions went down to defeat. And they went down to defeat fairly handily. And when he held his press conference... It was very clear to me that he was removing the R from his name and he was going to put a D next to it and he was going to do, he was going to basically become what his wife would have wanted, Maria Shriver, and become a full-on liberal because now he realized that being a Republican was a no-win proposition for him because that's all he cares about. He's a narcissistic movie star. It's about him. It's not about the state. It's about him being loved or at least not being humiliated. And never, ever, ever trust a Republican who wants to be loved and the most important woman in their life is a full-on lib. And that's what Trump is. Trump is an even faker Republican than Schwarzenegger. I actually believe that Schwarzenegger had some Republican principles. He just threw them out the window because he realized it wasn't going to work. Trump doesn't even have those to begin with. And the most important woman in his life is Ivanka Trump, who is a full-on lib, married to a full-on lib, both of whom are now major White House advisors, despite what we were told. We were told by Trump his children weren't going to have offices, weren't going to get security clearances. He mocked a story early on that his children were going to get security clearances. And now here this week, surprise, surprise, Ivanka has an office in the White House, not paid apparently, but that doesn't make any damn difference, uh, with a security clearance. So she and Jared, and one of the long-term situations here, by the way, is because Jared and Ivanka are very young. I think I will be stunned if long-term, unless this Trump thing is such a disaster at every level that anything with the name Trump is completely toxic, But in the long run, I'm not talking about four, eight years. I'm talking about down the road. I think we are creating the Democrats' new Clinton family. It's going to be Jared and Ivanka. I really believe that. We are giving legs to the future Bill and Hillary. Jared and Ivanka. And it's on our dime. Our dime. This is being created. It's going to take a while for her to get the stench of her father off of him, but not that much because where we're currently headed, especially if he doesn't get health care done and uh, the other parts of his agenda don't get done to his liking, and then he loses Congress. See, I, I think this is the, the nightmare scenario right now for Republicans because if we lose Congress, which is, I think, pretty possible, it's going to be close, 
if we're on, if we stay on this current trajectory, which is a long way to go, but we stay on this current trajectory, and the Democrats take over the House at that point, just like Schwarzenegger before him, Trump becomes a full-on Democrat, full-on, for a couple of reasons. Number one is he doesn't want to get impeached because impeachment is historical humiliation. And so then they will have that leverage over him and they will get him to dance in whatever way they want. And because he has no principles and frankly, he's a liberal to begin with, it's going to be easy. It's going to be just as easy as Schwarzenegger's transition. And at that point, the great ironies, <laughs> it happens so often in this world where not only is reality different than people think it is, it's usually the opposite of what the public perception is. There is a very likely scenario that we do end up getting health care and immigration reform in the second two years of Trump's presidency. And it's Democratic plans that Trump supports, that Trump ends up being the guy that gives us comprehensive immigration reform, i.e. amnesty. And it's Trump that gives us even more socialized medicine to save Obamacare. Because in theory, what Trump has put out there a couple times, we let Obamacare collapse in and of itself on its death spiral, then we fix it. That might work if you were willing, it's not good for the country, but if you were willing to endure short-term enormous pain and difficulty and unpopularity because now we're dealing, you know, healthcare, the obvious metaphor is, you know, this is like medicine. Obamacare is now a cancer that's overtaken the whole body. If you're going to get rid of it, guess what? That body is going to suffer tremendously. It might even kill it, but depending on how large the cancer is, I just don't see Trump having the balls to do that. The only way that you you cure, or not cure, but you fix or put a Band-Aid on this problem is with more government intervention, not less. Because less government intervention will cause short-term pain, and in the media's mind, catastrophe. And enormous political losses in all likelihood. Now, you, you might be able to get away with that if, you know, if you had somebody with some balls and some true conservative principles and understood the way politics works and was willing to endure some short-term losses for long-term gain. But we don't have that. So the reality is most, the most likely scenario to me is that in the second two years, Trump ends, cons- ends up conspiring with Democrats to save Obamacare in a more socialistic way. And then... Immigration reform happens on the Democrats' agenda. I've said it many, many times. Hillary could never have gotten anything close to amnesty through a Congress where Republicans had any influence at all because obviously everyone presumed that she's pro-amnesty to begin with. But because Trump has street cred on the issue, it's all bull crap because he was lying to his cult, But because his cult will believe anything about him, the most ardent anti-amnesty people will all sit on their hands and go, wow, Trump is so awesome. He gave us some border security in in a bill that ends up giving amnesty to millions of illegals. But Sean Hannity tells us it's awesome. So yay, team. That's what's going to happen, folks. That's where we're headed on this. And so... Look, I don't know um, where the, going back to the Mike Flynn situation, I don't know where that's going right now. I I continue to believe that, that Trump's overreaction to this is consistent with some guilt. <laughs> Yesterday, he tweeted about Chuck Todd of NBC, referring to him as sleepy-eyed Chuck Todd, being obsessed with the Russian story, which is fake news. Sleepy-eyed. The president of the United States referring to an NBC, major NBC host, as sleepy-eyed. He's just not suited to be president of the United States. He's just not. And it's never going to change. In fact, it will get worse if his downward spiral politically continues. Because he's immature. 
He, he's, a, he's a child. He's a toddler. He's an infant. And we are paying such an enormous price long-term for whatever we're going to get short-term from Donald Trump, which I'm now thinking isn't going to be very much. I'm still confident about Gorsuch. I'm hoping for some tax cuts. It'd be great to get some more border security. I, I have very little hope on the trade deal issues. The other stuff is all, to me, smoke and mirrors. These, these executive orders, I just don't think that they're going to have that much influence. I really don't. Now, uh, so make sure you go check that column out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. I also wrote another column that had nothing to do necessarily with Trump, which what, but was a, certainly a story that I want to point out. Because this is a story that deals with the news media's influence over these felonies that you may have seen that the so-called perpetrators of the Planned Parenthood sting operation were charged with here in California this week. For those of you who may not remember or aren't familiar with the story, so two pro-lifers engaged in a sting operation where they recorded Planned Parenthood workers apparently or allegedly, whatever word you want to use, trying to sell human body parts. And it's just awful. I mean, the, 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 the recordings are awful. And, and they really expose Planned Parenthood as an inherently horrendous and corrupt organization, which you would think would be the focus, right? <laughs> but no, 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 no. Because the media, they like to put white hats and black hats on people because, you know, they're morons and they like an easy narrative. And so they need to, you know, they're like my... Uh, my my child Grace. Remember, I mean, she asked the very good existential question about Donald Trump during the campaign. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? Right, but she because she sees the world through good guys and bad guys. Well, the media is also infantile, and they see the world as good guys and bad guys, and they see pro-life as the bad guys and pro-choice as the good guys, even if in the situation that's being exposed that's clearly not the case morally and so in texas they were apparently originally charged and then those got tossed out and and they were charged because of the fact that in certain states it's illegal to secretly record in this fashion now texas obviously is a much more conservative state less liberal state than california so in Texas, at least, they had some backing from the public and maybe even some of the media. It wouldn't be as blatantly against them. But here in California, this week it was announced that the Attorney General of California was charging them with 15 felonies. Felonies! 15! For having recorded this horrible situation. Now, I am not a lawyer. I've read the law. The law in California is incredibly vague as to what actually is an exemption to the law against secret recording. The way I read it, you can drive a Mack truck through it, and it provides enormous discretion for prosecutors. But here's where the problem lies. When a prosecutor is a liberal Democrat in a very liberal state like California, discretion is not a good thing. Because they're going to use their discretion to get cheered nationally and probably in their own state by the people that they care about. The pro-choice people are going to love this. And they don't care about the pro-life people. And unfortunately, the people who just have no real dog in that hunt and care about justice is a very, very small group of people. And they have no real power. And they don't have a media platform. So I wrote a column about how outrageous this was from a moral standpoint and a legal perspective, but also from the standpoint of the role that the media plays in all of this. Because the media plays an enormous role. If the attorney general's office in California thought, you know what, if we do this, if we overreach like this, we're going to get killed. Even though this is going to be seen as a pro-pro-choice decision or an anti-pro-life decision, you know, if we lived in a realm or in an era 
where news media outlets outlets were able to see beyond their pro-choice agenda and just look at this from the standpoint of right and wrong, look at this from the standpoint of principle, we're going to get killed. But they know that world doesn't exist anymore. They know that principle doesn't matter, consistency doesn't matter. No one does anything against their own self-interest anymore. And so they felt very safe in dramatically overcharging this case. Now, ironically, in the ultimate exception that proves the rule, like a day or two after I wrote the column, and I'm not suggesting that this had anything to do with my column for Mediate, but the LA Times editorial board or page came out against the indictments, which I was stunned by. I thought that was fantastic because, you know, I can count on one hand since I've moved to California 12, 13 years ago when I have wholeheartedly agreed with the Los Angeles Times editorial board. But they came out condemning these 15 felony charges as a dangerous prosecutorial overreach. And good for them. Unfortunately, I don't have any sense that other liberal outlets are going to follow. And the LA Times no longer has the influence or any of these newspapers have the influence that they used to have. But at least they showed that in some corners, principles still can, if only briefly, override self-interest, political self-interest, political agenda. And make no mistake that these two people, these pro-lifers charged, even if they're somehow found not guilty, the overcharging is so significant. It's significant in so many ways. One, it's an incredible emotional burden because now they have to live under the threat that they're going to spend a long time in jail for this. That's number one. Number two, they've got to now hire really expensive and good attorneys. Number three, when the prosecution overcharges like this, it gives them incredible latitude to be able to get the defendants to plead down to something because now the defendants' expectations are completely distorted. You know, last week, they wouldn't have accepted anything that involved any kind of jail time or any significant fine. But now, especially after a year or two go by and they're, they're pounded by this, they're worn down by this, they're tired. I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen in the Penn State case. It even happened to me in a, in a much smaller situation. You, you just want to get rid of it. And so you end up pleading to something you didn't do just to get it out of your life, just so you might not have to go to jail for a long time. So that has a huge impact. But it also has an impact as a chilling effect because who is ever going to engage in a similar sting operation again when this is the way you're going to get treated with no backup from the news media? And the news media is so short-sighted, and there's such, there's such, my God. What difference I mean, at this point does it make? It makes a big difference because they're a bunch of... Because they're not even looking out for their own. They're not smart enough to realize that their own interest is at stake here. They think that because these pro-lifers aren't media people. Oh, oh my God, they're not even famous. What, why should we care about them? They don't, they don't work for the New York Times or the Washington Post or a major television network. They, these are not us. This is not us. These people are the great unwashed. I mean, this is how the news media looks at it. But legally, there's no difference. So they're actually curtailing by not supporting these people. They're curtailing their own rights to do these types of investigations. Not that they really do this type of investigation anyway anymore, but in theory, some of them still might. And there's no distinction really under the law as to whether or not you're working for a media outlet or not, or how big that media outlet is. And frankly, in this day and age, you got a Twitter account, you're in the media. I mean, so so that's been obliterated legally for all intents and purposes. The media is too stupid to even understand that. They're, they're too dumb to realize that their own rights are being curtailed in this story. And so it's, this is a really important story. And um, 
I hope that somewhere along the lines there'll be some more blowback. But I, I know from my own experience in the Penn State case, I will not do certain things that I would love to do that I know are morally right because I know I'll get no support because I'm on the quote-unquote bad side of the story, according to the news media. You know, I referenced that you know situation where I had been arrested last year in a completely insane set of circumstances where if I was a celebrity or if I was on the right side of the story, this would have been major national news and incredible outrage. The media would have said, this is insane, and the charges would have been dropped immediately. I knew none of that was going to happen because I'm not a celebrity and I'm on the wrong side. I'm on the bad side. But that's this is one of the areas where the media still really does have a lot of influence. Media has lost so much influence, as we saw in the presidential election. They almost have reverse influence now. But in these types of situations, the media really does still have a lot of impact. And so uh, keep an eye on that story because it's important from a lot of perspectives that these guys somehow beat these charges. Speaking of allegations, I do want to at least mention the insanity of what's going on at Fox News Channel and Bill O'Reilly. It was revealed this week or this weekend that Bill O'Reilly, the star at Fox News Channel, a guy whose television show I've been on a couple of times, I was on his radio show a few times when he has radio, had a radio show. I do not like Bill O'Reilly. I think he's a fraud. I think he's a buffoon. I think he's completely ratings motivated. I, I don't think he's a conservative. Uh, he, he just wants to be on TV. And part of the reason why he wants to be on TV is so that he, it will make him attractive to women. And he's not very good at determining which women will be impacted by that attraction because apparently he's been choosing a lot of women that were not open to his advances to the tune of $13 million in settlements by Fox News Channel for people to not pursue sexual harassment claims against Bill O'Reilly. Now, I'm, again, not naive. Quite possible that some of this is a money grab. Very possible. But having read the nature of the allegations and their consistency and understanding what motivates a guy like O'Reilly and getting to know him very little bit myself, I am very prone to believing all this, especially when it comes on the heels of the Roger Ailes allegations. I mean, that that was the culture at Fox News Channel. You got a bunch of ugly white guys who have never been attracted to women being surrounded by hot women. I mean, it was basically an upper-class strip club at Fox News Channel. That was the culture there. And when you look, when you start to look at women that way, as I'm sure O'Reilly did, occasionally you're going to you're going to miscalculate. You're going to go after someone who's not hip to it. And when you're a big star, there's money attached to that. And when there's money attached to that, people are far more likely to make a claim. So I'm not going to pretend that you know Bill O'Reilly is Bill Cosby, that, although that's a whole other story for another day. Uh, but. There's no question that Bill O'Reilly did a lot of things he shouldn't have been doing with regard to women. And it's just insane to me that Fox News Channel thinks that it's worth $13 million to make these things go away. And he just signed a new contract. You don't think it was beneficial to Bill O'Reilly to help Donald Trump get elected, by the way? That's an important part of this equation. Very important part of this equation. Let's say somehow Marco Rubio had won the Republican nomination as he should have, and then he beats Hillary Clinton. Or or even worse, from a ratings perspective, Scott Walker. Remember him? Scott Walker, who Trump ended up winning with the exact Scott Walker map. Let's say some boring Republican had won. You think Bill O'Reilly's contract under these circumstances with $13 million in sexual harassment settlements would have been renewed under any circumstances that were beneficial to him? No. Why? Because his ratings right now would be in the toilet. Because the only way Fox News Channel's ratings remain high are, one, if you've got a boogeyman like Obama in the White House, or instead of that, you have a superstar on your side with a fervent cult-like base. And that's what they have in Trump. And so O'Reilly was one of those that sold out last year during the primaries. He got rewarded with big ratings. 
the general election campaign had big ratings because of the insanity of Trump versus Hillary. And the, the ratings have largely maintained themselves into this new administration because of the nature of Trump and his cult-like base. So herein lies why there was the conservative media sellout. It's like employment insurance. That's what Trump was for these people. And O'Reilly had a long relation. He was his milkshake buddy, remember? that? Remember that bizarre episode where O'Reilly had an interview with Trump, kept talking to him about all the milkshakes they used to have together? It was his milkshake buddy, and he was also very good for ratings. But even all that, I still don't get the O'Reilly allure. He's old. He's not interesting. He's not conservative. His ratings are no longer that great. If you look at him, they're not that much better. In fact, in some ways, they're worse than other hosts on in the evening at Fox News Channel. I think they could do just as well or better with somebody else. Hell, give me two weeks there. I, I would kick the crap out of O'Reilly's ratings. I'd probably get fired, but <laughs> I drive Donald Trump bat crap crazy. <laughs> but I can assure you that the program would be more interesting and entertaining. That's for damn sure than what O'Reilly provides. Not that that matters anymore. But the the point here is, I don't get it. I, I mean, it's like he has uh, pictures of somebody there uh, in compromising uh, positions. Uh, but that's this that's the world we live in now. If you if you make money for the company, you can get away with thirteen million dollars in sexual harassment settlements against you. If you don't make money for the company, you could accidentally fart in the wrong direction and you're gone. That's the way it works. <laughs> There is no place in the world where, you know, there the, the situational ethics are, are more at hold than in the news media. <laughs> you, there, there's a completely different set of rules if you're a star and make money as opposed to not a celebrity who doesn't make money. That's all that matters. That's it. It's all that matters. And Bill O'Reilly gets away with it because he was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time to uh, build an institution at Fox News Channel. Interestingly, MSNBC, pretty damn happy Donald Trump got elected based upon the ratings because their ratings sucked during the Obama administration. And now Rachel Maddow is kicking ass. Rachel Maddow. The the lesbian who uh, trumped up, literally and figuratively, hyped up, her uh, claim that she had Donald Trump's taxes when all she had was two pages from something that was clearly leaked from Trump world that made Trump look good. But her ratings are now off the charts, and MSNBC as a network has really pulled even and sometimes even pulled ahead of Fox News Channel. Why? Because they got their boogeyman, and their base is energized. So now their base is watching every single night. When Obama was president, they didn't care because they were in charge. And it's much, much easier to attack the boogeyman and get good ratings than it is to defend, especially when what's happening often isn't easily defensible. And that's partially why you're going to see, and you've already seen it, Trump is trying to provide the conservative media complex with a boogeyman with this whole deep state business. He, he still needs Obama to have some influence so that the Sean Hannity's and the Mark Levin's and the Rush Limbaugh's and the Bill O'Reilly's of the world can still have someone to attack. They need someone on the other side because the Democratic minority in the House and the Senate just isn't going to hack it. I mean, Nancy Pelosi's a pretty good target, but other than that, I mean, and she's old, literally old and haggard and doesn't have much power. Right, at least right now. She might have a lot of power very soon, but at least right now she doesn't have a lot of power. So this whole notion that Obama's still somehow having influence through deep state is very attractive to the frauds in the conservative media industrial complex. Uh, one other thing I'll, I'll mention in the news of the week, not surprising but sad nonetheless, Tiger Woods will not be playing in the Masters again this week. Third time in four years that he will not be playing despite that he kept saying, I'm going to try, I'm going to play, I'm going to try. This is, this is it. This is, this is the end um, for Tiger Woods. I've been saying for many years, in fact, I 
wrote a column at the uh, 2014 PGA Championship, which which was about as prescient a thing as I've ever written. This was held in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, where I used to work as a uh, radio talk show host and a television host there. And that week on the front page of the Louisville Weekly Newspaper, we put Tiger Woods in a casket. And I wrote the, uh, the story of how it was all over for Tiger Woods. And since then, uh, I have been 100% vindicated, although I'm not happy about it at all because it's, it's the saddest end to any great athlete's career uh, that I can think of. And, and the saddest part is he still won't admit that it's over because his business empire requires him to be perceived as still being somewhat relevant. And so we have to go through this now at every major championship. Is Tiger going to play? Is Tiger going to play? Of course he's not going to play. It's over. And frankly, at this point, I almost hope he doesn't play because once you don't play this long, you you can't get back into anything resembling tournament-ready condition. You just can't do it. You have to understand golf and the nature of the game to, to realize that. But golf, above any other game, you cannot duplicate a tournament experience in practice. And so now it's been so damn long since he was in the heat of battle. He Even if he was back, was physically capable of enduring playing in tournament golf, which I don't know. I actually don't think his back is that bad. And I, I'm basing this on a weird... <laughs> For a weird reason, he did an appearance on Good Morning America a couple weeks ago uh, where he's trying to promote this book that he wrote uh, on the 20th anniversary. 20 years ago this week, Tiger Woods won his first Masters, dominated, won by 12 shots, changed the game forever. Now he's not he's not even capable of teeing the ball up and playing 20 years later in a game which you're supposed to be able to play well into your 50s. At that level, it's just it's just tragic. But anyway, the point is that he at the end of this appearance on Good Morning America, he held this uh, was I guess it was supposed to be funny, silly putting contest with Michael Strahan, who's one of the hosts of Good Morning America. And it was clear that Tiger wanted to win the putting contest, and he made a, a move at the end that was very herky jerky to try to uh, get one of his balls to go into the into the cup so that he wouldn't lose the putting contest. And and the way that he did it was clear to me, this was not a guy that was worried about his back. That there, there, there's, there's no real back issue. That it, you know Maybe there's something, but it's mostly he knows he's not good enough anymore and he's afraid to go out there and be humiliated. And so now we have to go through this faux drama every major championship, but it's just never going to happen again. And the longer he doesn't play tournament golf, the less chance there is he could ever even theoretically get back to any semblance of tournament-ready condition. And, and so my, the worst part about it is, and Tiger Woods was a huge part of my life and a lot of other golf fans' life for a very long time. The worst part about it is it's going to get worse. There's no good ending here. I, I, and, and, and in his defense... It would be kind of silly if he said, I'm retiring because he's only 41 years old. And, you know, theoretically, backs are so weird. In a year or two, his back could be perfectly fine. And he's out there on the range and shooting good scores with his buddies. And like, well, why, why don't I just come back and play? And so you you wouldn't want to cut that, that option off. Although, you know, heck, lots of people have retired and come back before. But the reality is it's awfully sad. Uh, there will be no Tiger once again at the Masters, a tournament that uh, many people thought, including myself, that he would win more than any other person ever would. But on the uh, bright side is I'm probably not going to be able to watch the Masters this week anyway because I'm guaranteeing that my wife will be giving birth just to spite me. So, all right, that'll do it for this uh, first hour of the World According to Zig podcast. Make sure you listen to hour number two. Our special guest is David Mickelson, the founder of Snopes.com. Very interesting discussion there. And a special bonus hour, number three, where I give you an update on what's going on in the uh, Penn State case, as well as an extensive look at the first 50 years of my life as I uh, celebrated my 50th birthday this week. As always, I ask only two things of you. Please share this podcast if you like it, uh, Twitter, Facebook, or word of mouth. And if you're one of those people who you sleep, 
And when you sleep, you use sheets. Do yourself a favor. Listen to this important message. My name's John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.